On Racing HQ, Monday's experts studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's experts. Hate have always got the good oil. Pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. It's four minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday, and as always on a Monday, it's time to talk about the story behind the name. You've had plenty of guests on the program over the last, well, couple of years now. We've been doing Monday's Experts. Our guest today is a name that we see regularly appear on Sky Thoroughbred Central, especially when he's representing the stable at the races. I speak of Tom Charlton, who is the racing manager for John O'Shane. He's got a, a great story, and I'm keen to hear what his story is going to unfold to into the future, what he'd like to achieve in the racing game, considering he's got that very famous last name. Tom, welcome to Racing HQ. Welcome to Monday's Experts. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I wasn't aware that it was uh, <laughs> such a, um, a, a thing for... A, I wasn't aware of the show, so I'm, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. That's why we, we do that. We'll just send it through, you know, would you be available to talk to David Eleven? Yeah. And, that's what we I did that to uh, Eustace and whatnot recently, and they it's a bit of a stitch up, but it's uh, it's good to I think reflect and talk about yourself. I know you're busy on a Monday, you're getting nominations, everything etc. sorted, but let's talk about your life, mate, and career. Obviously, starting off there uh, in the UK, mate. What's your first memory of the horse? Um, I think it was uh, I, I was sort of grew up doing a lot of uh, pony club. Um, which is sort of, uh, I think, you know, growing up doing show jumping and getting to understand the horse and all the gear and just general horseman sort of stuff. And uh, that's where I sort of first got the love for the horse, which is where it all sort of stems from, of course. Um, And then sort of racing, just, you know, I was fortunately in a position where I was was always around racing with my father being a, a trainer. So... It was just sort of embedded into into me what the life of uh, horse racing was all about. When you uh, obviously growing up in, in a family where racing is there, so you're going to be you know picking up things straight away. What were some of the things that you remember early days learning about the horse? Um, sort of having to think about that question, but um, I just from the racing industry, it was always. Um, Quite a demanding lifestyle. I, I always felt sort of watching Dad and how he dealt with things. It was, just, it was quite full on, and it was very much, you know, something that it's not a nine to five. It's it's a it's a job. You see, sort of get taken home at night, and uh, he he would often work late, and you know, there'd be things that was popping up, and uh, it's just quite a sort of full on industry. But um, in regard to the horse, I mean. I was just the, the sort of, you know, the racehorse itself is such a unique athlete. Um, I was fortunate enough to ride when I was uh, sort of 14, uh, probably was the age when I first rode a racehorse. Um, and just that adrenaline rush, power, and uh, was something that really got me hooked. And believe it or not, I wanted to be a jockey uh, until I realised that I was going to grow to six foot two. Um, and, I, and I actually did a, a thing called pony racing. So uh, I think I was about 13. And um, we sort of had these thoroughbred po- ponies, which were probably just didn't grow enough to to make racehorses. And 
my first ever ride was a was a Ascot race course, and I actually managed to win. So that was something I I'll take forward as a, the only thing I've ever achieved in my race uh, race riding career as such. We're chatting. Um, we're sorry, mate. Continue. No, that was it. No, that was it. That was it. Well, I was going to say we're chatting with Tom, uh, Tom Charlton this morning. If you've just tuned into Monday's experts, Tom Charlton, my guest this morning, the racing manager for John O'Shea. So, how does a boy who grew up in such a famous name, that Charlton Racing name, especially there in the UK, find himself at Royal Randwick working for John O'Shea? Um, well, I sort of spent a um, bit of time. I didn't do much at school, to be fair. Um, I was always interested in, in, in the racing and probably more punting at that stage. Um, and then sort of did various spells of uh, education around whether it was at Newmarket for little stints and then did uh, three to four months, I think I did in America, Florida. Sort of came back and was working for Dad at the time. We had a horse that was coming down for the Melbourne Cup. It's called Withhold. And he was one of the fancied runners. Um, came down with with him and, and spent probably three months in Melbourne. Um, and just got a bit of feel for what made Australia so healthy um, for sort of participants and, and everyone else and headed back home and sort of had a think and probably enjoyed my time being away from the family business in a, to an extent um, and, and was sort of keen to branch out on my own and, and, and do my own thing rather than just stay in my comfort zone there a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of Came on a one-way ticket without a job. Um, approached uh, John at the Magic Million sale uh, in regard to potentially uh, whether he had any advice or what he could do because there was a few people that had worked for him previously. And I thought, given that he had just started off back from Cadolphin in his own right, probably the right sort of operation to try and grow with rather than and jump into a bigger, bigger operation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And from there, I, I thought I, you know, I mainly last six months before I went home, um, and uh, gradually just each each month continued to grow, grow a love for the industry out here. Uh, and after after about six months, I was no longer counting how long I'd been here for. Yeah, uh, what because you've spent so much time in obviously different racing jurisdictions, and also too being quite a young man yourself, so bringing a new age approach to, to training, I feel. What are some of the different characteristics between here being trained horses at, at Ramwick to there, your time in Florida, to even back home with your dad's stable in the UK? What would you say are the fundamental differences? It's sort of very much... Uh, I find, I find, uh, training in England was a very is a very horse friendly place i feel like you train on a beautiful uh countryside uh horses are very relaxed good good environment australia is very you know training in a city you have to have the right horse to to handle that you often see with some of the imports some that we've had ourselves uh really take time to to acclimatize to that slightly more hectic lifestyle um, and you know the training methods it's definitely more you can see why trainers are very effective in the 
in the sprint races down here. Um, that's also probably aided by not having those big rolling hills to, to condition your horses as you might see with some of the trainers that have come down and been so effective in you know, the spring features such as the Melbourne Cup. What about America? Oh, America is probably in a similar way to to Australia. Uh, probably, you know, the dirt racing, you have to condition the horses pretty hard. Uh, they've got to be very fit. I'd say that their, their work on the horses were hard, harder in Australia, at America rather, than, than Australia. You know, the horses here probably work less uh, intensity than, than both jurisdictions of the UK and and America. They're also very fresh here, sort of naturally um, very, you know, carry a lot of energy and that, you know, reflects probably in how, how the, you know, the race programming naturally suits two-year-olds and, and sprint races here. Mm. We're chatting with Tom Charlton this morning. Tom, you're an assistant trainer and racing manager for John O'Shea, and it's something that we haven't really sort of discussed, I think, before the role of a racing manager. What are some of the day-to-day jobs that, that you would do as racing manager that, say, John wouldn't do or um, that, that other racing managers are doing, just to give our, our audience an understanding of what that role is? Well, the racing manager side of things is more, uh, you know, probably a Monday is... is more a day for the, the the managing side of stuff so um you know you might get through a weekend where you've had a number of runners probably then you know assessing the, the races they should head towards um you're also looking at trying to secure the best riders possible for the next couple of weeks of racing which is a, is a taxing job um <laughs> uh, dealing with dealing with jockeys um, and, and expectations of, of owners potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of a, a Monday morning of, of, of organising that. Also, uh, keep up to date with our reports to, to owners. So again, that's probably a, a start of the week thing. Um, you'll, you know, be you know we might have horses. For example, we've got five horses in Melbourne at the moment. So uh, it's a case of organising. Transportation or logistics or uh, staff, uh, what they're, you know, what vet work they're doing with the horses, what work they're doing with the horses, or, um, and, you know, in, in Sydney, uh, sorry, what well, I'm trying to say, in organising Sydney as well, you, you know, you've got a large number of staff, a large number of horses moving around the whole time, whether they're going to the paddock, you know, trying to address with the farms, you know, exactly what they should be feeding them, what they should be doing with them on a day-to-day basis, um, how, how the horse is, is it doing well enough, do we need to change anything? Or, or when the horse is going to pre-training, we might have them on a, on a treadmill program, they might be going for a freshen up, they might be all these different things, and it's a large number of horses that are in a moving wheel, you're trying to keep on, on top of the ones that aren't in front of your eye in the stable. Is that the same in Europe? And, and elsewhere in the world. I mean, we obviously have a lot of information here as uh, as owners and as punters, especially as owners with the reports. And I think that's something that's definitely in the last 10 years is, has improved with technology. Uh, obviously, there are some uh, still, you know, training um, organisations out there that, that no doubt 
would not give as much communication as other trainers. And that's not saying they're bad trainers. That's just not their approach or their style. But what's it like in the UK? Would your dad be doing as intense uh, videos and, and ownership messages as, say, yourself and John? Or is it just something that doesn't happen in the UK as much? I, I, I think definitely doesn't happen as much. I think they they are definitely getting better. Um, and I know, I know that Dad is, is getting better. He's trying to, at least. Um, but it, no, no doubt in my mind that Australia is, is a leader in, in, in that sort of communication for owners. Uh, it, it, you know, when I first moved out here, that was probably one of the most uh, sort of eye-catching things that caught my eye about how many, how much, how well informed the, the owner is. Mm. And that's obviously... You know, Australia's probably got the most wide group of owners in the in the world, I guess, with the syndications they they do things. So it probably reflects very encouragingly for for the industry. I was just about to ask that because you know that your your dad, and I speak of um, that Charlton name, obviously uh, Roger Charlton, who trains in the UK. His ownership a group would not be as diverse as say yourself and John's. No, I mean that's the other thing. Yeah. English English racing, a large portion of English racing and ownership is used to be sort of the, they, they call it the sport of kings. And, and I guess it's, you know, you might have the, the queen with runners. You may have um, Jabmont Farms, who's obviously uh, a sheikh from, a prince rather, from, from Saudi Arabia, who's sadly passed, us, passed now, but his his sons are ongoing with the operation. Um, it's you feel I feel like there's more it's more sort of a one off person that owns the whole show rather than a, a, a group uh, of individuals. Exactly. And and I guess that um, probably creates that level of communication needing to be so much more informative to such a larger group of owners out here. Tom, what about uh, yourself? Obviously, uh, at the moment, you are, you know, obviously an assistant trainer and a racing manager, and you're also uh, laying some foundations here in Australia with your beautiful partner you're going to obviously marry. So do you see yourself as one day, no doubt you have these dreams and conversations, do you see yourself being a, a trainer in your own right here in Australia one day? Is that the plan? Yeah, I, th- I think for sure. Um, I think it's something I'll probably give a bit of consideration to over the next year or so um and but i've never been in a a rush uh it's one of those games where you never stop learning uh you never stop you know growing relationships or or what have you and it's a job that you can do as as you see with a lot of successful trainers now for a long time so i was never keen to, to rush and put myself in a situation i wasn't comfortable in um and uh, I think, you know, we're just, I haven't, had, I haven't tried to give it too much thought at this stage, but I, I obviously will probably give it a bit more thought over the next year or so. No, and it's something that obviously it's on the table and that's exciting for you. Uh, what about the, oh, I'm fascinated by this where, and you would have been involved with this a fair bit to considering you know the, the quality and the type of horse that we that they have in the UK, so no doubt getting some of these uh, European horses into John's stable, you may have assisted with or made recommendations. Why why has that some, been something that you feel has been so successful that 
you know, horses that are lowly rated from the UK that we see maybe going around at a night time while we're asleep and then all of a sudden they turn up here and they have a, a good run of success and can sometimes be taking out our best races. Why do you feel that is? Well, I think if you look at the Caulfield Cup on Saturday, it's a good recent example. I haven't got the results in front of me, but off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure nearly the whole nearly the whole field was were were imports. And a lot of uh, them were. I know your, your first four across the line, obviously, without a fight. West Wind blows, uh, Gold Trip, and I think the fourth horse, which is eluding me at the moment, but Bois Bois d'Argent. Oh yeah, yeah, Bois d'Argent yeah. for Annabelle. Falcon, yeah, Falcon was around there as well. He was an import. Yep. Um, it's an interesting how that race would look now with no imports. But um, it's, if you look at that race on Saturday, it was a high-pressure race. Uh, and, you know, the race was gapped out by the two impressive animals that, that, that have both. That's like, it felt like a European race watching on Saturday. You know? mm. High pressure, a uh, real test of the thoroughbred. Every horse got their chance. Um Given the way the horse, the race was run, and that was it was nice to see a race like that. And, and often you sort of some of these races can be quite barrier and tactic dependent. Yeah, I mean, and I guess because we often hear about you know quality of horse, is it is it also too? And, and I mean, you're in the game of obviously training horses, but also trying to you know get new ownership. Uh, increased size of your stable, etc. Is it more fashionable to have a horse, say, or is it easier for you guys to shift a horse that's coming from the UK uh, with you know some 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 nice form, but it's ready made instead of going to the sales, buying a, a staying pedigree type, and people just don't seem to have the time anymore or the patience maybe for them like they once no, did. No, I think that's correct. I think patience is probably one of the most important things. In racing, for 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 a trainer, jockey, and owner, it's uh, it's something you've got to have um, to to enjoy your racing as an owner. And I think that's a, for sure a big incentive with the tried horses. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I think more back to the racing. You probably the pedigrees of, of the staying horses you're buying into over there um, just probably stand up a, a bit better. Than, than, the, than the breeding industry down here, um, just probably a bit more. And will that? Do, do you see that? Debt. Do you see that changing though, because of these these horses coming down here and a bit the the money on offer? Well, yeah, I mean, I think to have that, we'll probably need the right mares and stallions to yep. start producing down here in the southern hemisphere. But I guess that is changing a bit. Call more, bring out, you know. The, Saxon warriors of the world, and yeah. those types of horses. But I mean, Galileo had to go down here, and that's right. He didn't, he didn't last long. That maybe. And I, I guess then my my next question, and maybe something you can't answer, is where did this impatience come from? Because if you think about it, I mean, we see a number of horses in the UK not bred to be early two year olds, not bred to be up and running and going. I mean, it's I guess it's all there about winning derbies and winning classics, but here. We've got this fascination of, well, if we buy a horse, it's got to be a ready-to-run two-year-old. It's got to gallop quick and let's go straight away. Do you think that we maybe need to, and we probably can't change this overnight, but do you think that mentality needs to change a little bit? 
Uh, I, I think so. I, I think that the two-year-old racing here is it's uh, it's the important part of the breeding industry because um, it gets the quickest quickest results. So the race like the Golden Slipper is is such a poignant you know marker for future generations generations rather. Um, and it's then probably yeah. Gosh, I don't know how to quite explain it. No, <laughs> without saying too much. But I, I'd be, I personally, I'm against the the how, how the, the industry is here is so driven to two old races. Yeah, and I guess it is it is that just because that that commercial aspect of um, you know the investment, the return, the the quick return straight away, and and that's obviously how it's it's been programmed here. But then you also then hear. I mean, look at the Everest, where we see two horses trained by Joe Pride that have obviously taken time and needed maturity and now yeah. reaping the rewards of that. And we've seen that as well with, with your horses, like Lost and Running, etc. That Just that time uh, and patience. Uh, and, and I guess, too, the, the patience, I think, of the owner. I think that's the big thing, Tom, because obviously, uh, you know, if you had all the time in the world, you could, you know, you, you could ease back on certain aspects, but owners pressures etc it's 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 a fascinating little chat that probably doesn't get spoken about enough what about your stable uh, yourself and john stable you must be happy with how it is you've got some nice young horses coming through but you've also still got those older horses that can carry the flag yeah we've got we've probably had a bit of a season um at the moment uh with the likes of sort of cohen's lane um Lost and Running, who's just been retired, Quanticos, Lions Raw. A lot of horses have been highly successful uh, over the past few years, won a lot of races, won a lot of prize money for their owners, but they're probably at the end of their sort of careers to, to an extent. Um, you know, they're, they're high in the ratings. Diamond, Bodebeck, who's just been retired. Um, and But we've got a really good crop of young horses coming through, probably the biggest amount of numbers we've had in young horses and we're just looking for those next ones to start you know being the next horses that are going to fly the flag um there's plenty there so it's an exciting next year or so and expect to see some nice horses come through i appreciate your time this morning tom uh chatting uh, about something not just about uh, horses and how they're going uh, in the stable but talking about yourself um before i let you go there's one question I always ask all my guests on this Monday. If you were standing in front of an 18-year-old Tom Charlton, what advice would you give him? Um, surround yourself with the right people and the right friendship group. Have your, your own best interest. You know, have what your interests are in life. Uh, you know, try and surround yourself with the people that have the same interests as you. So, if you if you want to in the racing industry I think you just want to surround yourself with the, the right people and most importantly work very hard and uh, if you do that you'll I reckon you'll be pretty right and hopefully to an extent I've done that I guess we'll wait to find out <laughs> we will wait to find out mate I think you're in a very good uh, space at the moment and by the way congratulations mate on your engagement well thanks for having me on and I'm sorry if it's been noisy and a bit manic but I've got I'm at Warwick Farm trials and horses are flying around like can't tell you, so <laughs> I That's, hope there hasn't been any funny noise. You've done very, very well, mate. You've done very, very well. Thanks for coming on, Dom. 
You caught me off guard anyway. <laughs> see, that's the beauty. See, you didn't know what was happening, so you didn't have any time to plan, mate. So thanks for no, coming on. All right. Thank you, Dave. See you,